we are starting episode three. Moodoo! Moodoo! Finally, we've been meaning to do this for a couple of weeks. And uh, we also wanted to remind the listeners that we will be recording these somewhat irregularly, meaning we want to record it when we actually have something to say that feels pressing and useful, rather than force ourselves into a, we have to record something once a week. So since it will sometimes be twice a week and sometimes be once in a couple of weeks, please hit subscribe if you want to be reminded by Apple when we have a new podcast dropped. Yeah. And one of the primary reasons that we're doing this is because we like doing things together. We want to do a project. We're doing it for fun, right? Yes. And it's uh, more fun to do it when we sort of have this... um, we have the time and space and energy to, to do it. Right. So yeah. we've been traveling the last couple of weeks. Yes. Sick, things like that. Um, and so, uh, always put our mental and physical well-being first. First. Right. That's right. Um, Welcome to Wiseish. On this show, we combine modern neuroscience with ancient wisdom. So you can master your emotions, heal your relationships, and pass on a legacy that you're proud of. I'm your host, Dr. Kavita. I'm a Harvard-trained physician and a double board-certified psychiatrist. And my passion is to teach you the tools that help me create the life of my dreams. Let's get started. talk about attachment today. Um, mm. This was a topic that Covey actually suggested to me a couple weeks ago, and I think it's a great idea. Um, do you want to tell the listeners why you wanted to talk about attachment? Yeah, sure. So we actually would just tend to brainstorm topics every couple of days. We're like, hey, is there anything on your mind? I was thinking about this. So attachment came up as a topic and For me, the reason I even suggested that is because I think of it as a a foundational framework that helps me organize and understand what otherwise seems chaotic and personal. Yeah. And when I discovered attachment theory many, many years ago, um, it was a real game changer for me too. So I would agree with that. Um, I think it really helps me understand some things that uh, really didn't make sense to me before. Um, so hopefully this will be useful to people who aren't familiar with attachment or attachment theory or attachment styles. Um, this will be a good reminder. It's always a good reminder for me, right? Even reading up in preparation for totally the podcast. So um, Covey is trained, uh, or Dr. Sun is <laughs> trained, uh, some of you may know this, um, as a child and adolescent psychiatrist, uh, she's double board certified. So um, I'm going to let you explain sort of the, the history of that a little bit, um, because even though this is a podcast about uh, marriage and intimate relationships and partnerships, um, the theory sort of originated in the parent-child, child and adolescent psychology literature. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So what we know is the first person to even think about a notice attachment, uh, at least as far as we know, that is recorded is John Bowlby. 
And his student was Mary Ainsworth. And in the 60s and 70s, she conducted a series of experiments where uh, there was a little lab and she bought in mothers primarily, uh, mothers with uh, children between the ages of nine months to about 30 months. And they went through some situations to see how the child would respond. And what they did was initially the mother and child would go inside this room, had some toys, and they would allow the child to explore and get used to that space. And then the stranger, quote unquote, the research associate would come in, talk to the mother, which is signaling to the child subtly that the mother knows this adult and it's a safe adult without actually saying that. And then the mother leaves the room without saying anything to the child. The, the associate interacts with the child and then the mother comes back in. And after a few minutes of comforting the child, both adults leave. The child gets to hang around and look at the room, whatever the child does for a few minutes. And then the stranger, the child, uh, the research associate comes back in, interacts with the child. Then the mother comes back in, comforts the child again, and then the research associate leaves. So it is literally trying to hit on multiple ways what the child might react as the first time they introduce to a new place, the first time they introduce to a new but signaling safe adult. The first time they're left alone after all of this interaction and the first time they're interacting, uh, the second time they're interacting with this quote unquote stranger who's less of a stranger now, right? And uh, seeing, yeah, multiple points and seeing how that child reacts, which is important because even though we're studying the child, we're in fact studying the quality of the child-parent dynamic, Mm. Right, Because with a different parent or caregiver, that same child might react differently. And with a different child, their second child, for example, this parent-child dynamic might play out differently. So it is actually hitting on both dyadic interaction of that specific relationship. So one child could have a secure relationship with their mother and a avoidant relationship with their father. Yeah. I, I actually hadn't thought about that before, but that... That makes a lot of sense. So um, before we get too far, we should probably tell people what the attachment styles are yeah. in childhood and how they map onto adulthood. Otherwise, when I say things like um, you could have a secure attachment style or a avoided attachment style, you're not going to know what we're talking about. Yes. So that's let's right. make that connection. So after going through these experiments, what Mary Ainsworth came up with was four different attachment styles. She decided uh, or, or categorized them as secure attachment where basically the child had an appropriate fear response, meaning if they were completely oblivious to the parent leaving, that is actually not a secure attachment style. Um, So secure is they have an appropriate response, but can be soothed by the parent when the parent comes back and is able to then get down again and explore the room. And so, and then have a muted fear response for the second time they're exposed to this stranger, right? So secure attachment. Insecure, she divided into three types. One was anxious, which means that they could not be soothed by the parent even after the parent came in. They could not be soothed. They would be angry, they would be upset, they'd be crying, they'd be clinging, and so they would the real fear that they might yeah, be yeah, they, okay. they cannot let go of the parent or even feel calm in the presence of the parent. 
right? The second is the avoidant where they don't notice a parent leaving. They don't notice them coming back in. They don't care, right? Okay. And the third is the disorganized, which uh, she described as having the worst prognosis, which came up in later studies, but basically they don't have a strategy at all. They don't have a strategy of clinging to the parent. They don't have a strategy of, I don't care, I'm okay by myself. They're all over the map in the same experiment. That she called disorganized and uh, later was found to have a lot of associations with trauma. Yeah. So what does this mean in terms of adult attachment, since this is a a show on marriage? So this theory gets um, uh, sort of built on and um, applied to adults beginning in the 80s. And now there is quite a bit of research uh, about adult attachment styles and how we um, uh, form relationships with one another. Um, So as you um, may have mentioned earlier, that the attachment styles in childhood and adulthood don't map on perfectly, but it really is sort of an extension of that literature, thinking about this general idea about um, how we are in relationship to other people and how secure we feel. And it does apply to, you know, when they leave as well, not just leaving the room, but if they, um, if you exit a relationship, but it also impacts how you are sort of every day in that relationship. It actually yep. has quite a few um, predictive qualities like life satisfaction, mm-hmm. relationship satisfaction, relationship duration. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a really important um, sort of factor in uh, just our, our quality of life, right? So yep. what are the attachment styles in adulthood? Since they don't map them perfectly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, in the 80s, uh, Mary Main, which is a little confusing because it sounds like Mary Main Ainsworth, but two different individuals. Mary Main in the 80s studied adult attachment. They only let people named Mary go to graduate school back then. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Who knows if their name was really Mary? If it was me, I would have forged my name to get into graduate school. So. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, Mary Main studied this and what came of that was what's now called the adult attachment interview, which many people in the attachment field describe as the greatest sort of discovery or movement forward in the attachment literature in about 20, 25 years around that time. So she described it as having three main types. Adult attachment interview described three main types, which is um, the secure, right? the secure attachment, the dismissive, and the preoccupied. Those were the three that came up in the adult attachment interview originally, okay? And interestingly, people say, is the adult attachment interview signaling adult romantic attachments? No, the adult attachment interview actually signals, it's a series of questions that you ask this adult about what they remember about their own childhood and their own relationship with their parents. Oh, really? Yes. And what it predicts with mind-blowing accuracy, uh, if I remember right, at least 90% accuracy, on how you will have an attachment with your children. How you remember and describe your own childhood has a good correlation with how you will have an attachment with your own children. Even when you're pregnant, the child has not even come out yet. Well, no wonder you married me. 
<laughs> That's right. I had I, a great relationship with my mom, and I I always talk about that. Yes, and yes. Kavi has often said that she wants to mirror that with you know with yes um, our daughter. So um, we're still not talking about marriage. Not yet. So the adult attachment interview is a way for researchers to know what you might end up playing out in your own childhood with your own children, which allows us to give uh, resources early on to families that may be at risk. Okay. All right. So now how does that map onto adult attachments? Again, a series of studies mapping on from the adult attachment interview has now formulated and who knows what will keep being discovered but four types of adult to atta- adult romantic attachments and that is again secure preoccupied dismissive and the last is fearful yeah and it seems to be that fearful may have elements of anxious and avoidant both yeah that's what i always had heard right um the literature that i read um calls it anxious preoccupied mm-hmm. uh dismissive avoidant fearful avoidant yeah um and then secure and right. i think maybe that's just harkening back to you know maybe that's a nod to to ainsworth to ainsworth yes yeah. but fearful even though we can say it can have elements of both uh we don't exactly know how much like do we know for example exactly 50 percent of the time you'd be fearful and 50 percent avoidant we don't know it is a combo, but we don't know exactly what that combination is. So I think what might be helpful here, because um, if you're reading this, you're probably thinking, well, what does it mean to be anxious, preoccupied? Yeah. What does it mean to be dismissive, avoidant? What, what am I, right? How does this relate to you, dear listener? Um, yeah. So I uh, have a couple inventory items. Mm-hmm. There's uh, different studies that yes. sort of seek to, to measure uh, attachment style. Yep. And so this will hopefully just give you a little bit of a flavor of yep. what it is that we're talking about when we say um, this person attaches securely or this person is um, more of an anxious attacher. So um, I'll start with secure. So a couple items from that inventory are things like it is relatively easy for me to become emotionally close with others. Mm-hmm. I don't worry about being alone or others not accepting me. Mm-hmm. It's not that you don't care altogether, right? Mm-hmm. But it's not something that you're overly worried about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm comfortable depending on others and having others depend on me, right? Yep. So um, to be in a relationship, it, it requires a certain level of dependence on somebody else. And and, and it's a two-way street, that's right? right. Um, and so if that's relatively comfortable for you, you're probably a secure attacher. Some of the items, and obviously there's uh, a lot more and many, many resources that you can uh, find on your own, but to kind of give you a flavor of anxious, preoccupied, those items are things like, I want to be completely emotionally intimate with others, but I often find that others are reluctant to get as close as I would like. Um, Another example, I'm uncomfortable being without close relationships, but I sometimes worry worry that others don't value me as much as I value them. Mm -hmm. Um, Dismissive avoidant, I'm comfortable without close emotional relationships. It's important to me to feel independent and self-sufficient. And I prefer not to depend on others or have others depend on me. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and then we'll talk about fearful avoidant, which we should, which I think is worth saying. That's a very small percentage of the mm-hmm. population. Most people are secure, mm-hmm. anxious, preoccupied, or dismissive avoidant. Mm-hmm. Um, but fearful avoidant being a kind of combination. Um, I think uh, the most recent numbers I saw was about five percent mm-hmm. in the U.S. Um, I'm somewhat uncomfortable getting close to others. I want emotionally close relationships, but I find it difficult to completely trust others or to depend on them. I sometimes worry that I will be hurt if I allow myself to become too close to other people. Mm -hmm. So hopefully that kind of gives people um, an idea of what it is that that we're talking about. I think one of the things that um, I think is important to think about is these are sort of fundamentally, like as human beings, we want to connect with other people. Like we deeply want to be connected and these are strategies for dealing with um breaks in a connection right so you could or anticipated yes right and so if you're anxious which you know uh to be perfectly honest I in the past have um uh I have some some anxious tendencies for sure and um you know one strategy for dealing with that is to worry right um and to to sort of perseverate over, um, you know, where is this person? Why haven't they called? Why haven't they texted? Um, do they love me enough? Maybe I should be better, right? Yeah. It's, it's all in anticipation because of that fundamental urge and desire and need, really, to be connected to others. Whereas the opposite strategy, which I don't understand at all, <laughs> is this, well, I don't need anybody, yeah. right? Um, which is, we all know isn't true, but it's a strategy, right, for getting um, that need met to, to say, well, that's not important. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been more on the avoidant side in, in my earlier years. Um, and that, you know, I often describe it as the push and pull between two equal important needs of any human being, which is uh, authentic self-expression versus connection. And uh, when we don't feel secure, we try to lean on one versus the other strategy. When we're secure, we can touch on both. And I want to sort of um, summarize secure attachment as being on five important skill sets. Oh, I don't know this. Yeah. Tell me. Okay, so one is self-esteem. How you think about yourself and your self-image tends to play a big part in uh, how securely attached you are, which we'll touch on when we talk about can you go from anxious or avoidant if you wanted to, toward more secure, right? So these are the five things that signify secure attachment. Self-esteem or self-image. Second is how uh, much you are willing to seek out social contact, right? Um, Third is boundaries, how well you know your own boundaries and uphold them. Fourth is trust. How do you think of other human beings in the world? Your overall, like, you know, people will either say, you know, you got to be careful about people, you got to have your back versus where you are on that trust of other human beings. And then the fifth one is, 
your ability or willingness to depend, which is the asking for help that you pointed to, right? I don't want to ask for help. I don't want other people to depend on me. I don't want to depend on other people versus I need other people to need me and like me and vice versa. So those five things um, are the things that you want to be thinking about when you're wanting to move toward. Yeah. So that's really interesting. And I think that's a nice segue because one of the things that I wanted to talk about was, you know, can you change your attachment style? And I talk a lot about um, attachment in my sociology and family class. And what I typically tell my students is that the research is mixed. Um, some people say, no, you largely can't. And the truth is that about 60 to 70, um, I'm sorry, 70 to 80% of people will not change attachment mm-hmm. styles over the life course. Um, however, um, other people say, you can change um, attachment styles, but it takes work. Yeah. And it takes a conscious sort of effort to look at how you're responding, try to change those patterns, try to change that internal dialogue. Um, and I didn't actually know what that process looked like. So this is really helpful because that would be exactly where to look, yep. right? Um, but what I wanted to, to add to that, that I always say in the classroom is, um, it doesn't actually matter who, who's right. Can you change it or not change it? And the reason is that you can still, it does not necessarily mean that you can, that you're, that you're doomed, right? So we were saying earlier that these attachment styles are strongly correlated with things like life happiness, relationship happiness, relationship longevity. And obviously the more secure you are, the, the higher you mm-hmm. be. On, on these items, right? And so my students, particularly my anxious students, are like, oh no, this is terrible. I'm, you know, there's a questionnaire that I give and they say, I, you know, I'm doomed to be I'm, anxious. Yeah. Exactly. And if it's true you can change it, then you can work on it. If it's not true that you can't change it, if it is largely stable, it still doesn't mean that you're doomed because what um and I remember reading this myself and having the same thoughts. And that's why I passed it out to my students. You need to find somebody that you are able to express what those anxieties are and um, who is ideally secure or at least open to meeting those needs. So what does that look like on the ground? It might look like, hey, I tend to get really anxious and if I don't hear from you in the evening um, or if you're going to be late, you know, I'm going to need you to text, text me. Is that something that you can do? Um, and so if you're with somebody that you can have a conversation with and say, Hey, you know, this is what I need. And that person says, yeah, I, I'm going to, when I get home, I'm going to have a thought about my partner and say, you know what? I think I'm going to, um, uh, text this person because I know that she tends to worry if, um, I, she doesn't know that I'm home yet or, uh, hasn't heard from me all day or something like that. Right. Yeah. Um, so there's sort of two pathways to to manage. Yeah. Yeah. I I like what you said and I wanted to uh, really just spotlight a couple of words that you used which I think are really to me is really salient in how I slowly have inched closer to secure attachment. One is you mentioned thoughts, right? It has been revolutionary for me to understand that there's got to be a middle point 
That is my thoughts that produce my feelings. Whatever else somebody else is doing, that necessarily doesn't crawl inside my brain and do anything. I have to think something about that, right? And so even though it then changes a focus, it also gives me an opportunity because my thoughts are something that is under my control. Absolutely. So that's one thing. And the second thing you pointed to, which I really uh, you know, want to make sure the listeners heard is you said when we, let's say you're anxious and you say to your partner, hey, I tend to get anxious. Would you mind? It would really help me if you could text if you're going to be late. For a long time, when I, whether we're on the anxious or avoidant, when I was on the avoidant, I would describe it as my partner being in the wrong. Mm. Okay. So for example, why as an avoidant person in the past, I would have thoughts of why are you engulfing me Mm. versus I tend to get really overwhelmed. Could I have my own space sometimes? Yeah. And I really, really like that you pointed that out because the language with which we say it is one of self-ownership. Yeah. And also allowing that person to possibly say no. They may not be able to do that, which then allows us to honor, oh, I'm still needing this. This may or may not be the right relationship for me. Or which can is, I get it met somewhere else? Yeah. Can I get it met somewhere else? Versus you are a jerk because you are doing this or not doing this, which is where I was for yeah. many, many years. Yeah. So. That's a great point. Um, and I like that now they sort of have um, some example language for sort of both sides of the coin. Yeah. Um, personally, I have taken this assessment multiple times um, and I have inched towards secure and uh, more recently gotten uh, scores that are within the quote unquote secure range. But I think the other thing to remember is that these are really deep-seated. So, you know, it doesn't mean that I'm always secure in our relationship. You know, these um, tendencies pop up all the time. And maybe less than they did 10 years ago, 20 years ago. But um, it's really sort of about management. Yeah. Um, And if, you know, if I haven't gotten a lot of sleep or been taking care of myself or filling my own cup or, um, you know, there's a lot going on at work then um, it's very easy to slip back into those yeah. more anxious styles. Yes. And, and that's, it's not, a, it's not a prescription for like you, this is how you're going to be, right? I think it's a more dynamic kind of. Yes. Um, I often say to uh, my clients, it's not the first inclination that you have that becomes your life story. It is what you do with it. It's a third, fourth, fifth, yeah. sixth, hundred thought that you follow. So when I'm stressed or triggered, my first tendency is still to be pulled towards an avoidant thought, but I am aware of that now. And so I don't allow that to become, you know, fifth day where I'm still acting avoidant. So don't be so worried about your initial reaction. It will still probably be toward whatever you're inclined to be. But if you're aware of that and you're developing yourself in those five areas you'll have less likelihood that you follow that and make it your life story yeah oh my gosh there's so much more that I want to say about this and I actually I can see our driveway from where we're doing the podcast and the carpet cleaner just pulled up the driveway so I know that the carpet cleaner is going to ring our doorbell any second now yeah so we Um, should probably wrap up 
Can I add one thing here, darling? Yeah. Um, we've talked about can somebody from insecure move to secure or not? But I also want to point out it can be the other way as well. Absolutely. Even if you're secure, uh, trauma, trauma, big T or small T, can pull you into acting insecure in a relationship. So be Absolutely. aware of that as well. It's not like, you know, secure attachment is is also a prescription for life. It is self-awareness and being willing to have some compassion for yourself and be flexible. And that's it's going relational. To help. Yes, it's you relational. Can be in a relationship with somebody that's normal. Yeah. <laughs> you can be in a relationship with somebody who triggers more of those insecurities yes. um, or not. Yes. Right? And you yeah. might do that to someone else as well. So you will. You will. <laughs> that's right. So on that note, um, thank was, you, listeners. This is so fun. Um, yeah. I'm sure we'll talk so much more about attachment. It's just so ingrained in our lives and um, there's just so much more. Yes. Um, yes. So, uh, I want to add also, if anyone's interested to find out more about their own attachment styles, the book attached mm -hmm. that you can find on Amazon is a good initial read. Uh, and the second you can just put in attachment style quizzes, uh, obviously make sure that they are by a source that has been vetted. Do you want to include a couple links? Yeah, we can them? include in the show notes as well, where you can go and Check out your attachment style and then think about those five parameters if you want to move one way or the other. All right, listeners, have a great rest of the week. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. I hope that you enjoyed the show and that you're leaving with some great takeaways and maybe even some breakthroughs. If you're ready to master these tools and apply them to your life, come join us in Mastery. It's our monthly membership program where we help you customize these tools to your life. Plus, we coach you and support you along the way. You can get all the details at bit.ly forward slash masters of fate. That's one word, no space, masters of fate. bit.ly forward slash masters of fate. The link is in the show notes. I hope to see you there.